people have far more control over their enthusiasm and outlook than they think they do. Welcome to Unleashed. I'm Colleen Pilar, a dog trainer fascinated by people. Dogs bring out the best in us. Your dog thinks you're awesome because you are kind, thoughtful, generous, playful. In each episode of Unleashed, I'll choose one behavior trait that dogs and people share and interview a fascinating person to talk about how that trait appears in dogs and in people. Then we'll explore ways that you can more fully embody the trait so that you can show up at work and at home as the amazing person your dog knows you to be. Are you ready to be unleashed? Hi, welcome to Unleashed. Today my guest is Mike Schmidtman, a peer group facilitator and business coach, and also a dog lover. I've invited Mike to talk to me today about enthusiasm because I think that's such an amazing trait that Mike embodies and that I think most of us could have a little bit more of in our lives. So Mike, thanks for joining me on Unleashed today. Well, thank you, Colleen. So starting, of course, with dog lover, tell me about your dogs and how they show enthusiasm. <laughs> well, that's for sure. And uh, Colleen, that's what we both share for sure, is a love of animals. So we live out here in the country. And I originally gave my wife, I said, let's, let's always have two dogs. We'll have a younger one and we'll have an older one. And as the uh, older one moves on, we'll get another younger one. And so, of course, we immediately broke that rule. We, we always have a minimum of three. So I have, I have three dogs now. Matter of fact, four, if you count, I have a daughter who has a, a dog as well. So that's actually four in the household. So what do we have? We have a, we have a rescue dog who we, is Danny. Uh, we call the Diggity Dog. And he's the most joyful, enthusiastic animal on the planet, in my opinion. He's always wagging his tail. And it's funny, when we first got him, we call him that diggity dog because we turned the TV on when he first came. And it was that Disney song, that dog, that dog, that diggity dog. And it <laughs> came on right when he was there. And that was him. So we, we call him that diggity dog. So that's Danny. And he's a rescue dog. We think he's part Bernese mountain dog. And he's probably got three or four other flavors as well. So he's big. Uh, he's, he's a big, big diggity dog. He is. And then we have Ollie, who was a designer dog. This is one that my wife spent hours and hours and hours of research on the internet to find the perfect foo-foo dog for our kids. And uh, that's Ollie. And he's a half Shih Tzu, half Bichon. So they call that a Shishan. And he's a cuddly little furry little thing. Uh, weighs maybe 10 or 11 pounds. And he's the cutest thing. Of course, my girls love him. And he's... You know, he's quite something as well. So that's Ollie. And then my wife has a service dog. Uh, she has some autoimmune issues and needs uh, some help. And so we have uh, a Shiloh Shepherd. A Shiloh Shepherd is similar to a German Shepherd, but their hips are a little higher. Mm -hmm. They're a little sturdier and they're bred to be uh, service dogs for handicapped people. And my wife can still get around, but uh, we're training the dog. Uh, if she ever has trouble and uh, getting up and moving, uh, we'll have that service dog already and trained. And of course, she 
loves that dog. Of course. We, we put and it through training for service dogs so it can do the service dog things. And we have the little red vest that we, that, it, uh, that Razzie wears when it goes out. But uh, that's our collection of animals at this point. Uh, you never know though, when my, one of my kids will come home with a, a stray somewhere. So three ish. How's that for three dogs? Three ish. Three sounds great. So, <laughs> so what is Danny enthusiastic about? Um, Danny's enthusiastic about life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny when we got him, we went to a, there's a, a place out in Airlie and there's a very, I think it's a wealthy woman who owns it and who just, you know, she adopts every stray dog within a hundred miles, I think, because you go to this place in Noaldi, uh, out near Middleburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. and she must have a hundred or 200 dogs. And uh, we went out there to get a different type of dog, but we just liked Danny so much. And, you know, the people who were there know all the dogs and they said, well, here's a dog you weren't thinking of, but why don't you do this? Now, we also found out, Colleen, that every dog in this shelter is four years old. Now, <laughs> All of them, huh? They're all four because <laughs> they know. Well, first of all, they don't really know. I mean, right. all these dogs don't have papers, so they just don't know. But they know if they say, well, they're eight or nine, nobody wants to adopt them mm -hmm. because too old. And they can see that they're not one or two, so they'll say four. So we don't really know how old Danny is. We were told four, but I'm a little suspicious of that. But um, they were right. As soon as we walked in um, and saw Danny, his tail was wagging. He was happy to see us. Uh, he's been happy ever since. That tail never stops wagging. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> and it's funny. Even it, it doesn't matter. It's raining outside. It doesn't matter if any number of things are going on. Uh, even other dogs don't bother him. And as you know, sometimes with dogs with alpha kind of tendencies, you never know how they're going to interact with each other. But Danny gets along with everybody and every dog. So that's great. So he's always wagging his tail. He's always happy. And of course, what's that mean to us, Colleen? When a dog like that is happy to see you, it immediately perks you up. I know. It makes it's you the best. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So when I get home, if I'm having a bad day, I immediately go to Danny. And sometimes I'll even sing that little diggity dog song. <laughs> that, dog, that dog, that diggity dog. You know, and, and he'll wag his tail and life is good. Yes. And so that, so let's, let's talk about that. So that feeling of when someone is enthusiastic to see us has an effect on us. We feel that that welcome, that joy. And dogs excel at that. Dogs are fantastic at being delighted that we're here. So when we're talking about it in your in your work role and when you're working with people, how do you see enthusiasm coming out in interactions or times when enthusiasm isn't there, but life would be better if it were? What what do you think about that? Well that's that's a great question. Let me share with you something. And Colleen, you and I both are members of the National Speakers Association. And when I was first joining the organization as a candidate, so I wasn't uh, qualified to be a member yet, and so I was eager to learn and understand the business, I was very fortunate to have a mentor who came in. His name was Wolf Rinke, And he said, Mike, don't ever forget, you're always on stage. And so if you're speaking to a group, if you're up there, you're always on stage. And I of course, I nodded my head like a bobblehead thinking, well, yeah, okay, sure, I got that. I know that, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't know it. And what do I mean by that? 
um, I've had my wife will come sometimes to when I speak and she'll say, Mike, you've got to be more enthusiastic when you get up. And she says, you, your body language, you first come up, you're kind of slumping. Um, you're not walking quickly. She says, hold your head up, throw your shoulders back, stride confidently. And that's how you open up. And again, Wolf was right. You're always on stage. Even when you're walking up, even when you're leaving, you're always on stage. Matter of fact, uh, there was one time I was in front of a group, and this was maybe in Dallas, and maybe there's 100 people in the group. And like yourself, Colleen, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> so uh, I was in there, and I had some audiovisual troubles. And um, so I go up on stage, and I'm sh- supposed to show a video, and the video doesn't work. It's kind of melts down in front of my eyes and I have to go to plan B. And of course I, as a speaker, I, I kind of went on my way and ignored it. But being the perfectionist, as soon as I was off stage um, and out of range of all the people, um, I uttered a few choice curse words and said, that was awful. There's some <laughs> euphemism about that. And the meeting planner happened to be right there. And I almost lost that entire, I had a series of speeches I was giving across the country and I almost lost the whole thing. Oh, wow. Because I was being honest and upfront and authentic, but I'm always on stage. And even though I was back there, I was on stage and I shouldn't have said, because what do you do when you say that was awful? You've just telegraphed to the world. You're awful. Well, who wants to hire an awful person? Mm-hmm. So you're always on stage. So to your point about enthusiasm, um, sometimes we think that little window, you know, you could be mad at yourself and you smile brightly and everybody's happy. Then as soon as you're off the stage, you're grumpy and solemn again. No, no. <laughs> you have to always be on. You're always on stage. And that's before, during and after. Because I thought it was interesting. You said, hey. Mike, I contacted you because you're always enthusiastic. Um, au contraire. <laughs> <laughs> well, you clearly have taken the advice to heart because I do see you as a very enthusiastic, positive person that you, you carry yourself all the time with with a lot of joy and enthusiasm for whatever's going on. So obviously mm-hmm. it's working. At least until the door closes and I'm finally by myself and I've... <laughs> Then, uh, no, but, but you're right. And getting back, Colleen, to dogs, that's true. Of course, dogs don't have to act that way. They don't, they're authentic all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're, uh, they are authentic. And I don't know how they keep that positive. Of course, that's why, you know, there are what, 50 or 60 million dogs in this country. People love them. Yes. They often love the dogs more than they love their own family and other people because dogs are always positive. They're always loyal, mm-hmm. and um, with very few exceptions, they always make you feel better about yourself and about your surroundings. Yeah, I think they really they really fill us up in a way that that we're not always even aware we need. Um, so that when we find people who fill us up in that same way, we gravitate toward them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm so surprised to hear that you're not always that way because that's how I see you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, there's Mike. He's like a big dog. That's a compliment, right? <laughs> so it's an interesting perspective. So in terms of enthusiasm, when you're talking about always being on stage, we do need to be careful about false cheer 
and false enthusiasm, which most people can see through pretty well. Um, but balancing I, well, actually, that. I'm actually going to say I think it's the opposite, Colleen. Really? Uh, I think um, I used to work with the Dale Carnegie organization. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, I'll just put a little shout out to them. That was many years ago. But I took that course. It's funny. When I was growing up, my mother used to say, if you don't start being nicer to people or if you don't get out of this, I'm going to send you to Dale Carnegie. So I always thought of Dale Carnegie as some kind of punishment, some kind Prison. of um, <laughs> some kind of you know penalty for being a bad person. Uh, but I remember being in my twenties and I moved out of the house and I thought, you know, that, that Dale Carnegie course seems like a a good program. I think I'll do it, and I paid for it myself and I went through. And I have to say that that was a transformative experience. It was three or four month long program. One of the things that they say is act enthusiastic and you'll be enthusiastic. They actually go through with a little bit kind of corny, but they make the whole audience do that. Act enthusiastic and you'll be enthusiastic. But when you say people are enthusiastic and are not authentic, a lot of times if you're not having a good day, if, if the world is beating you down, um, acting enthusiastic actually does make you enthusiastic and you bring yourself out of it. And I think sometimes the best way to get out of a funk is to, you know, you put a smile on your face and you act enthusiastic and all of a sudden you turn into an enthusiastic person. That's all I can say is that, yes, um, for me, sometimes I have to psych myself up into it. Um, I say, boy, I've got all these people here. You can do it. You can do it. And I kind of give myself a little pep talk mm-hmm. <laughs> before I go in the room. But guess what? Um, people see that. And then the more enthusiastic you are to them, then they reciprocate. Reciprocate. Now you've got a feedback loop where you're being positive to them. They're now being positive to you, which then pumps you up. So I would, I would not say, Colleen, that false enthusiasm is a – I don't regard it as a um, – I don't know what you would say. I I wouldn't regard it as a put on. I would regard it as a way to get yourself out of the, the slump. Yeah. To Uh, reframe your mindset. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think mindset is hugely important. And that's of course, one difference we, we believe we have from dogs. We don't think dogs are setting intentions and thinking about their behavior and exploring (laughs) things in the way that we are. But the whole concept of, that I can make an event positive or negative by what I think about it is a very powerful thing. And so that, that aspect of um, behaving in such a way until it becomes actually true does have value. That's true. And I'll give you another dog story. Now, okay. This is not a current dog that I have, but it's a former dog and it was a beagle and his name was Boomer and Boomer was all about food. And of course, that's a beagle. <laughs> Beagles are kind of known for this. And I love that little guy. But I'll tell you, he was really fixated on food. But what was interesting was that I had three little daughters at the time. And of course, little daughters are they'll play with their food and they'll spill it. Mm-hmm. They'll drop food, etc. Um, 90 plus percent of all the food that got dropped 
Boomer would get. Mm-hmm. We have other dogs at the time, and Boomer was always in the right place. The right <laughs> there's something Strategy. about being fixated in about something. So when people talk about goals, I mean, if your goal is something as simple as food, I assure you that that beagle was locked in. Um, <laughs> he he could find it anywhere. Uh, but uh, I actually turned that into a, a a sales thing. You know, I'm a sales focused person, mm-hmm. business oriented person. And I often tell people, I said, you know, you've got to be at the right place. You've got to be perfectly positioned where something good happens. And I tell the story about Boomer the Beagle and how he was always perfectly positioned when food would drop. And some, sometimes he had something to do with that food dropping. He would kind of like lick the kids' <laughs> knees or feet or, and they would give him food. But again, all the more reason. Mm-hmm. But he was always perfectly positioned. And I say in business too. You can never tell when something happens as an opportunity. Right. But you can be perfectly positioned. And so that's my moral of the story, my boomer the beagle, words of wisdom <laughs> on being perfectly positioned. Uh, but I think all of us can do that too. So how do, how do you lock in on what you want, what's important? How can you position yourself so when something good happens, you can take advantage of it? Yeah, and that requires a little thinking, but once you've done the thinking, it's not that hard to <laughs> to follow through. That's true. So what do you think the challenges are? You've already sort of discussed a little bit of the psyching yourself up, but in terms of enthusiasm, what's hard about enthusiasm? What's hard? Well, I think default, especially people like ourselves, Colleen, who tend to be perfectionist. We tend you know to know me too well. <laughs> we gravitate. I mean, if, if you look at a, a, an email that somebody writes, you immediately identify the misspelled words. Mm-hmm. Do something, you immediately, and just like I did when at my performance, it wasn't perfect. And I said, that was awful. Um, we, we, we're so the enemy of enthusiasm is this perfectionist attitude that nothing's ever good enough. And so that's something that. I think we all have to work on to say we're pretty darn good at what we do and we're may not be perfect, but let's look at the positives. And so oftentimes I think it's just looking at the positives and appreciating that they're there. And I could say that also as the father of three teenage daughters, uh, they go through periods in their life when they are extremely focused on things that are bad. (laughs) (laughs) People are mean. These teachers are bad. The test is unfair. The school is unfair, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they give me a long list of things that aren't right. And, you know, dad, of course, tries to cheer them up and to point out the other sides and how we're living in a beautiful place and we've got freedom. You just think of all the things we have. But, Colleen, I think we have to admit all of these are present at all times. So the negative things are there. The positive things are there. And if all we do is focus on the negatives, we'll never be happy. Yeah. Never, ever. And so uh, it's not just a skill. I would think it's a discipline, a discipline to say, okay, let's, let's focus on the positive. What's going well? What should I be happy about? And if it isn't perfect, we're still <laughs> pretty good at what we're doing. We're st- we should be happy with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a, I was reading, I think in the Washington post and a, and a writer they said, what's the most unusual interview you ever did? And the writer said, well, I was trying to interview this really, really wealthy person. Let's say this person was worth $300 million. So 
massive amount of money. And they said, uh, so I finally got this interview and I was all excited and I go in. And what did that person who was worth 300 million talk about? He talked about how unfair it was that he wasn't worth 500 million like this other guy. He was so much smarter than him. He was so much better. He was a better worker. He was et cetera, et cetera. And he was so resentful about not being 500 million. He was only 300 million. So most of us would give our eye teeth to have that kind of money. Right. Yet that person woke up every morning resentful. They woke up every morning bitter, uh, felt the world was unfair. So it just shows you uh, that's a, uh, it's a road to frustration if we constantly compare ourselves to, to something unattainable. And so far better for us to be thankful for what we have and the good fortune that we've had in our lives, our health. Uh, we're living in a great country. We earn lots of money. Uh, we have beautiful people in our family. We have great friends and colleagues. So, Yeah, I agree. I started a, a gratitude practice a number of years ago, and every day I have to come up with three gratitudes that are different than than previous oh, ones. Well, that's a, that's a great exercise. It is a great exercise because it, it makes me aware of little tiny moments in my day. You know, like I've been grateful some days for warm Costco socks on a winter day. That's a ridiculous thing. And yet, oh, wow, am, am I happy my toes aren't cold? Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> and so- I like that. Having that concept, I think, plays into the enthusiasm piece. Because like you said, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff is there regardless. But what we're focusing on. Now, did you come up with that yourself? Or did, is that a practice that, that somebody... No, I'm sure I picked that up somewhere in, in, in something. But but my I put criteria on it for myself. That it has to be three different things every day. And that they they are better little honestly. And I do it sometimes in sessions when I'm doing sessions and I'll have people come up with something great that happened in the last 24 hours. And then I'd say like, and the smaller it is, the better, because sometimes you don't notice that you have your favorite kind of pen and the ink flows so smoothly, but you totally care. You know, when you have the good pen versus the bad pen, you're like, oh, I have the good pen. That's nice. But to go, wow, I have the good pen today. Yeah, that's good. Little, little things add up to form our whole lives. And we're, we're so busy focusing, at least I am often on what's next on my to-do list and what do I have to do and all of the jobs and jobs and jobs that stopping and thinking, well, what's one, one little thing from today that's pretty amazing. I like that. As a matter of fact, I've just wrote that down. So the three gratitudes and the littler, the better. That's very insightful, I think. So yeah, I, I kind of like it because it's easy to fall into the big, well, I'm grateful that I'm healthy and I'm grateful that I have a nice family. And then you're not actually feeling it. So if you want to be grateful about being healthy, great. What What's one little thing about that that you're grateful for today? I'm going to add that. You know, um, this spring, um, I adopted a new practice. And I learned it from a guy named Marshall Goldsmith, who's a very well-known executive coach. He coaches very successful people. And he was talking about how do you change habits? How do you change, you know, as we get older, of course, we get set in our ways and how do you, it becomes harder and harder to adapt new practice. And he, he, he does what he calls the daily cue. Mm -hmm. So he asks himself a question, a uh, series of questions every day. And I thought, eh, that sounds like a pretty good idea. And I don't like to feel that I'm getting old, <laughs> which I am, <laughs> of course. Um, 
so and it's actually a free app. So it's on my iPhone. I just download the daily cues and you can set up the questions you want. But I think I'm going to add the three gratitudes to it because I like that idea, Colleen. Mm-hmm. And what you do is every night it pings you and it says, don't forget to do your daily cues. Yep. And, uh, and my questions are along the line. Matter of fact, well, if you want, I'll, I'll actually read them to you. Sure. That'd so, be great. My daily cues. So this is a free app. I like that part of it. Is, is the app called the Daily Q? Yep, the Daily Q. It's a free app. So my questions are, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, was I engaged? Did I build positive relationships? For me, did I declutter? Because I can be messy if I don't focus on decluttering. Did I have fun? Mm-hmm. And guess what? Uh, as an aside, Marshall Goldsmith said when he coaches, and he coaches dozens of fortune 500 CEOs. And he asked them, did you have fun today? And he said, not only do most people are they stumped by that question. They said, I'd never even considered am I happy? Yes. He said, have you done something today to make yourself happy? And that's the lowest on my scores too, because we focus, you can focus on, let's stay positive. Let's stay mm-hmm. engaged with the people we talk to focus on the diet. Don't eat too much, et cetera. Um, but how many times do we focus on what have I done to have fun today? And it's such an important restorative yeah. thing for us, but I don't have time. <laughs> so uh, the purpose of the daily cues is to is to reinforce it. So we mm-hmm. think about how many times do we think of something yes. and forget it. So just like your three gratitudes, Colleen, uh, it'd be very easy for me to forget it. So if I if I add that to my daily cues, then every day before I go to bed, I just pop it up. And it says, okay, how do you rate yourself? And sometimes I'm pretty tough on myself, but it's a constant reminder. These are, these are things I said myself that I want to do. Yes. So have I, have I stayed connected with people? Uh, have I tried to learn new skills? Did I exercise? Mm-hmm. So I either get a nine or a two on that. Either yes, a lot, or no, not at all. <laughs> but it's great feedback. Uh, and then say, pay attention to my family because I'm very – of course, like a lot of people, you get so focused on your business, uh, you don't want to ignore your family. So I want to have that as a reminder. So, Right. Anyway. I like that it's a numerical score, so you don't have to spend a lot of time writing things down. I also have daily questions, but mine require a, an output. Um, so I may, I may try yours. Mine well, are I, um, the three gratitudes for the day. What okay. have I accomplished in the past 24 hours? What were my struggles and challenges and what caused them? What what solutions could I suggest to myself to avoid them in the future? Did I learn anything in the past 24 hours? And what would make the next 24 hours great? So those ones come through mine. I use the day one app each day. Well, it's, it, it sounds like the same type it's the of the same app. idea. Yeah. Wow. Impressed. Well, well I thanks. think that I think that one of the things that we're finding here is that you know, enthusiasm and joy don't necessarily just come naturally to us in the same way that we think Danny the Diggity Dog wakes up delighted each day, um, but that it's certainly within reach. Yeah. Insightful. I think I'm learning more than um, your audience is today, actually, if I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think you've given great stuff, and I've got a whole list of, of show notes that I'm going to put in for people if they want to check out, things like that. So, just in terms of looking just at enthusiasm, if you could control the world, what would be your one suggestion to people 
for having more enthusiasm in their interactions with their coworkers? Um, well, I would go back to what Dale Carnegie said probably 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. Act enthusiastic and you'll be enthusiastic. And that's, that's a, you know, and, and as he freely admits, he didn't come up with most of these ideas. He, he went back to Socrates and he went right. back to biblical texts and all sorts of, he gets them from all over. Um, and so I, I don't think even Dale Carnegie would say that he created these ideas. He's very gracious about acknowledging other people, but um, I would think that's it. I think that, that, I think by and large, Colleen, people have far more control over their enthusiasm and outlook than they think they do. Mm-hmm. Psych yourself up for it and do it. You do get that feedback loop going where you're more positive, which means other people react more positively to you, which then pumps you up. So that feedback loop starts. Of course, it can start the other way as well. If you come out grumpy, people react negatively to you, which then, so it, it can work for you or against you. Yes. It's almost your choice, right? It is. But one thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about that is that negative emotions are more contagious than positive. So if you walk around being grumpy, odds are you're making more people grumpy. But (laughs) if you walk around being happy, you may or may not make the people around you happy, but you're kind of vaccinating yourself a little bit against the grumpiness that will come your way. You know, it's funny you say that. I'm going to go off on another tangent here. Um, I was at a, uh, it was kind of a training session. It was about emotional intelligence. And mm-hmm. I had just done this survey and a woman was kind of doing a debrief for the group. There may be five or six people up there. And she says, what's wrong? And I was staring into the distance, which is what I was doing when I'm processing information. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, nothing's wrong. I think this is great. She says, you look so angry. And I said, really? And she says, you have that look. And it's funny, I I came back to my wife and I said, that's interesting. They totally misunderstood. I've lost in thought, but they interpreted that, that I was angry. And my wife says, yeah, you have that look. And then I've had three or four people say to me, you get that look. Mm -hmm. What the look means is, I probably have that look right now, (laughs) is when somebody says something insightful, I I process it and I'm thinking I'm staring off in a distance. But it's very easy for people to misinterpret that look. Uh, it's a negative when it's not. Yeah, and then we make up a story in our head about what it means, which. So what, I, I try. This is another thing that I try to do, probably not as successfully as I could, but I try to be careful about quote that look. That mm-hmm. uh, so many people have said, you get that look, and it's it's almost like you're not conscious of how the outside world sees you, and if you're not careful, they will misinterpret that. So that's a takeaway, and I'll admit I probably don't do that as well as I could. Um, but I've had so many people say, Mike, you get that look. You know? <laughs> I struggle with that, too. But I think, you know, if you're if you're reading, you know, the most amazing book ever and you just think it's fabulous and so enjoyable, probably you still have that look, you know. So sometimes oh, yeah. we can be completely invested and engrossed in something and not look joyful We because we are processing and thinking and putting pieces together. It's It's a tough thing sometimes when people misinterpret what's going on. But because we do make up stories about other people's behavior, we see the look and then we start going, oh, he's angry. He doesn't like it. What's going on? Is he upset? 
It's too bad we don't have tails we can wag. Yes. You a duck. All you have to do <laughs> is look at Nanny or look at Ollie, and they'll start wagging their tail. And just look at them. Just look. Mm-hmm. They, they start wagging their tail. Oh, maybe I'm going to get some food. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> yes. Dogs, tell you dogs are wonderful that way. I'll tell another, since you're a dog lover, Colleen, I'll tell you another story. Okay. We occasionally, as you can tell, we will get a rescue dog. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we get them from a breeder. Sometimes we go for a rescue dog. And sometimes we get a dog through whatever happens in life and somebody. So we were in Nebraska. And somebody said, by the way, there's a, a breeder of German shepherds. And for whatever reason, they have this dog and they can't keep it anymore. We're trying to find a home. So, of course, we raised our hand and we wanted this dog immediately. And so we got this dog whose name was Molly. And we kept the name. Well, Molly had already been trained in lots of ways. And one day I was asking my wife, I said, do you think we ought to take Molly for a walk? And Molly went bananas. <laughs> tail and jumping up and down and yelping. And we realized that Molly understood the name, the word walk. Oh, yeah. And so from that point on, uh, we would have to spell it and say, Mm -hmm. should we take Molly for a W-A-L-K? And so I thought it was kind of interesting. And there were about 10 of those. Molly knew so many words. Yeah. Molly would listen into our conversations waiting for that right word. Treat, walk, um, (laughs) fetch. Play, she was primed ball. for it. <laughs> Fri- say the word. Say the word. <laughs> and she was a great frisbee dog too. So I'll tell you one more. Since you, I know you're a dog lover, so you don't mind. I love the dog story. <laughs> Molly, Molly was my favorite frisbee dog of all time. But but in a, in a way that you would be very surprised to hear. So here's how the game would start. Uh, I would be in the house. Let's say I'm reading the newspaper or watching TV or something. And Molly would bring the Frisbee to dad. So, okay, now mm-hmm. is time to play Frisbee. Molly would inform me when the game was starting. Mm-hmm. Now, Molly would very often acrobatically catch Frisbees, but she would not return them. So I needed to have three Frisbees at all time, and I would walk in a triangle. So I would mm-hmm. throw the Frisbee, Molly would run up, grab it. I would then throw another Frisbee, and Molly would drop the one Frisbee, get the other one. So I would walk in a triangle, and Molly would... So it was kind of this triangle of three Frisbees. I would throw, she would drop it, get the other one, throw, drop it, she'd get the other one, et cetera, et cetera. And when Molly had had enough of this, Molly would then, with a Frisbee in her mouth, just go back inside the house. We had a doggy (laughs) door. She just let herself in. I'm I'm sitting out there in the middle of the yard with a Frisbee in my hand. I guess guess we're done playing Frisbee. (laughs) So... But I thought it was so funny. She would tell me when to start playing Frisbee, and she would tell me when to stop playing. Yeah. <laughs> who was the master and who was the pet? That's the question for you. Yeah. I think it's good if we don't explore that question too much. Just, just <laughs> let it happen. <laughs> Everybody's happy until we start exploring who's in charge. So but my my last actual question before I get to the how listeners can reach you question, but the last question about dogs is – Pick one of your dogs, and if your dog could talk, how would he or she describe you? Boy. Um, and you have to tell us which dog it is, too. If you're... Well, it has to be Danny, and Danny's the, the diggity dog. Okay. And one thing <laughs> I'm going to say. What would Danny say about Mike? <laughs> what Danny 
what Danny loves more than anything. So Danny doesn't fetch. He doesn't, you know, so again, even though he was, <clears throat> quote, four when we got him, mm-hmm. uh, he was too old to learn any tricks. So he doesn't do tricks, but he loves to ride in cars. If somebody opens the door to a car and just turns their back, Danny will jump in the car because he doesn't want us going anywhere without Danny going along. He <laughs> loves to drive. Um, of course, he'll also jump in the UPS truck when the UPS guy comes here. And the UPS guy knows that he's got that open vehicle. And Danny always jumps in the car. <laughs> the UPS truck. He will. Uh, one time he jumped in the back. He was getting a box out of the back and Danny jumped in the back and he had a tough time getting Danny out of the back. Of the <laughs> so he's always. So what would Danny say? What would he say about you? Here's the person that drives me around. That's what <laughs> say. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you being on Unleashed today. I'm wondering if you could tell us how listeners can reach you and learn more about your work. Well, you can. Again, I'm a, I'm a really a pet to three three dogs, uh, but MikeSchmidtman.com. And I'm really not selling anything. I've got a very kind of narrow audience of people. And unless one of the listeners owns a company that sells high technology equipment, um, there's nothing on earth I can do for them except tell stories and try to be friends with them. That's, I guess, all I'm saying. So I, I have a business, but it's very specific to information technology, but it's MikeSchmidtman.com. And I do like to have kind of a humorous take on things. And so uh, technology can be a very dull, dry, boring business. So I try to find the lighter side of it. Well, I appreciate your, your lighter spin on things. I think that's one of your best assets. So thank you so much for being on Unleashed today. I'm sure everyone will enjoy this as much as I have. Well, thank you, Colleen. You're awesome. Thank you so much. So what do you think? Are you ready to be unleashed? Ready to open up and fully become the amazing person your dog knows you to be? Subscribe to Unleashed. And please visit ColleenPilar.com slash iTunes to leave a review. It helps new listeners find us. And my dog gets an extra treat for each new review. Say thank you, Edzo.